How are we going, mates? How's everyone doing? Uh, welcome to another episode of The Top Step. Again, I appreciate the emails and the downloads. I'm starting to check some of the analytics, diving into it, trying to figure this out. Who's listening? Who's not? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we've got Canada, Australia, um, Japan, the US, and my top couple countries. And I got a couple bots listening in Russia or something like that. Uh, some bot farms who are picking up the uh, feed, probably trying to hack in and steal all my money, steal all my all my fans from the podcast. But um, now, guys, appreciate you guys downloading the episode. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, baseball's back. Can't believe it. We have we have a season, a little mini sprint session, uh, sixty games. So it's exciting. Uh, I think it's late July, apparently, unless that gets changed. Who knows? It may still get changed, but. Um, yeah, excited about that. I know it's going to be 60 games. Um, if you're a Mariners fan, if you're one of these rebuilding team uh, fans out there and, and your team, hey, they're in it, man. I mean, think about it. 2018, the Seattle Mariners would have made the playoffs if it was 2020. They were in first place after 60 games. Think about that. All right, so you always look at this glass half full. This might be a way more fun way to watch baseball. And I've always said, I hate saying this, but 162 games. Man, I grew up in Australia. It's, it's this thing where you tell people you play 162 games and they're like, why? What's the point? So, you know, this might be something, something different. Maybe we cut the season in half and go over six months, more off days for the, for the, the fellas and, you know, more time to get on the podcast for me. But um, that also, I, um, I haven't watched the Griffey documentary. It was on this weekend, but uh, I got blown up on Twitter. Apparently I was pitching against him and uh, I made my debut June 22nd, 13 years ago. As gray hairs are starting to show, man, 13 years ago I made my debut and uh, it all happened. It was against Griffey, first ever hitter, and I got a chance to play with him a couple of years later. And I said, hey, by the way, I finally got the guts to, to tell him, hey, dude, you were my first ever hitter I ever faced. And I was kind of hoping, subconsciously, I was kind of hoping that he remembered. He didn't. And I, I don't know why I thought he was going to remember that. But um, he said, oh, yeah, what did I do? I said, uh, I struck you out. And... Uh, Matter of fact, it's funny because the audio coming up right after this intro matches exactly what he said. I swear to God, he goes, oh, well, there's a story for you, grandkids. In a good way, in a really good way. But um, anyway, guys, I appreciate you passing this on to your friends. Um, I'm not going to tell any stories in this intro because there's <laughs> some good stories in this next hour with a good buddy of mine. His name is Tyler Morn. He is... A guy who has been all over the world covering baseball. He does all the international tournaments um, from, you know, 15U international tournament all the way to the Olympic qualifiers. Uh, we were together in November in Japan. We had so much fun. We hit it off. I uh, kind of knew this guy. I don't know if we really knew each other before this, but um, we kind of had, you know, the same circles of people. But, um, yeah, we just became buddies. I had to have him on because it's, it's just a, it's a riot anytime we talk. And uh, hopefully some of this comes out in this next episode with the podcast um but yeah make sure you go to www.thetopstep.com oh by the way hey my, my cartoon i put my cartoon with balfour and hilarious got some great feedback i want to make some more of them we might call them the top step stories or something but uh basically me and balf just being absolute bogans uh, a lot of fun if you haven't checked it out uh you can go to my instagram page just go uh on instagram at, uh, at hyphen 18 it's on there it's on the igtv you can go check it out. Let me know what you think because I'm going to make a couple more. He's got some funny stories that we just want to be complete bogans. Um, Bogan is basically like a kind of like a what no, redneck Australian sounding person. I don't know. I don't really know how to how to describe that. Sorry, Australians, if I've 
butchered it or offended anyone. But um, yeah, anyway, I'm in a great mood. Baseball's back. It's all happening. Um, I got to see my debut 13 years ago. That was fun. But uh, and I got a chance to talk to one of my very good mates in this next hour, Tyler. Enjoy, guys. Uh, I'm going to get right to it. Enjoy this episode as Tyler Mine joins me on the top step. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. As he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the game is over. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. All right, Tyler, welcome, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah, hey, uh, first of all, where's your uh, WBSC follow? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. I'll go bring my whole rack of them in. Yeah, yeah, you should have a bunch, right? I mean, you, did you get one every single time you go to an international tournament? So I don't think that we. I remember I got two for like my first three events or something like that, and then the next couple of years they didn't give them to us. Uh, yeah. But then starting last year it was like we got two every single event. So I think like over the last the last like maybe two years maybe it was two years ago they started with that I think I had like a dozen polos. <laughs> I get there day one and it says like I must because I mean yeah we're in, I was in Korea so I'm, yeah. I'm guessing it's coming from Asia it said like triple XL right it was just right. You get, <laughs> like you're painting it on yourself yeah and 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 just you know to give some reference to people basically Tyler and I work together at the. WBSC, the Olympic qualifiers, Premier 12, was awesome. How much fun was November as a blast? But day one, I get there. I've just met these people for the first time. You know, I even rocked up in like a sports jacket. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to look professional. Yeah. And they said, oh, here's your polo. Because initially too, on the email heading over there, I said, oh, do we like, are we on camera? Do we bring suits and the whole right. thing? Nothing was quite clear as to what we had to wear. But then they said, oh, you'll be given a polo. And day one, I put this thing on. I'm like, dude. There's no way I'm not wearing this thing in public because it is so tight. And I said, are you getting anything bigger? And I think they pulled out like a, like one from the year before, different material, but it's like a 4XL. It's like, it's like for a home plate umpire that they have to put over a chest protector. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, man, bang. I had to ask it because I remember even like any, any like event and there was always, and you've dealt with this a lot before. I haven't, right? Yeah. So... Even if there was like some event, you know, like or a press conference, I'm like, man, am I supposed to be wearing the polo right now? But no one seemed to care. Like everyone's just like, whatever. <laughs> it's always kind of a moving goalpost when it comes yeah. to the polos or the suits. Uh, yeah, yeah we, I, started I the, we started the suit thing a couple of years ago. And uh, and yeah, then last year for one of the events, they're like, don't worry about any of the suits, just wear the polos. And like all of us as broadcasters, we had packed like three or four suits right. to travel across the Pacific Ocean and have like all of this formal wear that none of us had to wear. And uh, so that was great. That was, that was great. I, I mean, you've, those through every you've done some of these though in like Columbia where it's blazing hot, right? Yeah. Like there's no yeah. way you're rocking up in a suit. Oh man, the worst, um, I'm trying to think of what the the hottest was. Columbia was weird. So I did Columbia for U23s two years ago, the U23 World Cup. And 
It was hosted at uh, Edgar Renteria Stadium in Barranquilla. That was where we hosted right. the the group round that I did, and then like the the super round and the finals and all that. But the way they built the press box was the broadcast booths were encased in glass inside oh a press box that was also encased in glass. So it wasn't like two different levels where you know, like at a big league stadium, yeah. you'd have a booth that has windows that open and all that. It was these closed in booths inside a closed in press box. <laughs> I was like. I think there is. And Craig Durham and I, one of our other broadcasters, we talked about like, there should be a company, like a consulting company that goes yeah. around and explains like, this is really what you need for a press box. To be oh yeah. Super functional. And that ballpark was like brand new too. But the worst was we did the, the women's baseball world cup in uh, Vieira, Florida at the old national spring training facility two years ago. And that was August in Florida. Oh my And God. none of the, you know, it's like a, 30 year old spring training facility so like yeah. air conditioning not really up to up to yeah. bar so you'd like the room would be nice and cool and you'd open the windows and just instantly you wanted to die like it yeah. was and, so miserable and it's probably that old school i say this yelling into the microphone like don't worry about our vents they're loud <laughs> Well, anyway, there, there was always there's always something random around the world with like, you know, I'm trying I'm trying to come up and put myself on the spot here, but like I played winter ball, and it's like you look around, you're like, why is that there? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh, right. Why did they build? So funny, dude. But there is, I, so I was in Korea. It's funny because, yeah, you, know, you, you there you were with um with um John Paul Morosi, right? He's big time. You yeah. guys are in Mexico doing that first round. Place is packed. Yeah. It's so well done. It looks so good. You guys are killing them. Listen, I'm going, oh man. So I'm like, oh, this is great. I rock up day one Korea. And we have literally, we don't have a producer or anything. It's just yeah. on us. So I walk in and, and it's like, you know, first of all, no one's there. I'm like, <laughs> and I haven't got a translator in. So I rock up. I think I've got like my own taxi or something to the, um, what's the, what's the, the dome in, in the Korea? The Sky Dome, the Sky Dome. Sky Dome. Yeah, amazing facility, I rock up yeah. and I'm just walking around. People are like, who's this dude? <laughs> I haven't got my polo on. And I'm walking around and, and me and Neil, Neil Salons, he, he works with the Rays. So we're walking around like, are we supposed to see anyone? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then some guy just came up and said, oh yeah, you guys are in this booth. And it's like basically a closet, you know, like they, they gave, you know, the local broadcast. Right. Like, oh man, it was amazing. And we're in there and we're just waiting, we're like, Check, check. Uh, can anyone out there hear us? Because usually you have someone talking to you, like giving you. Right. And they just say, right. "Oh, you basically you go on thirty minutes before." We're like, "All right, let's do it." Yeah. But, um, but dude, I got to say, man, I had so much fun in November. It was so fun, dude. Once I got to Japan and, and we're in that Tokyo Dome, so good, dude. Yeah, like I still to this day, I'll look back at you know pictures, the stuff I put on Instagram or, or pictures on my phone or whatever it is, and just think like, I really did that. Like I really broadcasted yeah. a game. For 40,000 people, with 40,000 people in the stands at, you know, yeah. at one of the most iconic baseball venues in the world. Like, it's, it's cool enough to have done some of the smaller events I've done for WBSC. But to do something like that was just yeah. like, that is an un, an un, an incomprehensible thing for me to have now uh, in my background, you know. Yeah. It's just way too cool for me. Oh, yeah. Hey, dude, I'm with you, man. It, there we are in November and, you know, US versus Japan or Korea yeah. versus Japan place is rocking. It's funny yeah. too, because we got, we got a chance to talk to some of those young and the US team just had like just uber prospects left, yeah. right and center. And we got a chance to talk to some of them and they were blown away, man. Like yeah. it was so cool for them because you get these kids and, you know, I spent six years in the minor leagues and you cover the minor leagues. 
and you get these kids who are a year or two away from being absolute studs and yeah. you know having that kind of atmosphere and, and everything else. They never get exposure to international baseball like right. that. And just to see their reaction, they were having a blast, dude. It was it was legit. That's what's so neat about those events. And you talk to some of the guys who, you know, played in in U12 or U15 or U18 World Cups, also in Asia or yeah. in Latin America or some of these places where, especially when the home team plays, yeah. you cannot fit another human being in. Like I remember uh, summer of 2018, we did the U15 World Cup in Panama. And Panama goes on this this Cinderella run, like this team of, and they had some dudes who were who were really good prospects. Reginald Preciado was a shortstop who signed with the Padres this past off or this past uh, international signing period. They had some really good guys, but they went, I think they went seven and one in the tournament. Like their only loss was to I want to say Japan before the final, but just like had no business being as good as they were. And they go and they play in the championship game, and uh, it's against the U.S. They sell out this stadium. To the point where like the city fire marshal in in david and the tower we did it had to show up and like have firefighters at the gates turning people no away because they were so over capacity already wow. like it was and it's amazing because yeah you talk to these guys you know especially the american kids who who haven't played in anything like that before and even when you get to something like premier 12 where it's professional guys they're yeah. still like i've never seen anything like that. and that's I awesome yeah, it's, it's unreal, man. And, and if, if you haven't already and you listen to this, if you ever get a chance and you're in Japan or Korea, go, I mean, yeah. obviously not this year, but right. go to a game, right. unless you want to be a cardboard cutout or whatever they're doing. But, <laughs> uh, but no, 2021 and on, um, yeah. go to a game. It's legit, it's man. And, and, and you sit there and again, again, different cultures and everything else. But, you know, uh, you and I walked out to right field. Yeah. Remember that? That was, yeah. that was insane. I had, I had to do it. I couldn't wait to do it. And yeah. they're, all got, they're all got their books with the songs, man. Yep. And they're just going. And, and it, it's just this, like, this cool thing where and, – and I'm, I don't mind when you go into, like, you know, East Coast games, like Yankee Stadium, you've got the hecklers and all that. It's all part right. of it. It's hostile. It's, it makes the atmosphere great. But there's just such unity over there. You've got the whole place. Everyone's, like, just – Locked in, boom, yeah. singing the same chants. It's yep. sick, dude. I love and it, man. It's so, so cool about it, too, when, when you know, we went out to right field and you see all of these fans in, uh, you know, if they're not in Samurai Japan jerseys, which is the name of the national team there, they're in, you know, Hanshin Tigers jerseys or Tokyo Giants jerseys, whatever it is. Yeah. And even though their their national team has players from, like, the, the professional teams that they hate, they're still so on board with the national team. Like the national yeah. team is the biggest thing in the world to them. Yeah. And it's awesome. Unreal. Yeah. Speaking of 2004, um, when we, we beat Japan, Team Australia yeah. beat Japan, won nothing, yeah. snuck in. Uh, I remember talking, <laughs> it was funny, dude, like Dice K pitched against us and just shoved, right? Like just punched out 12 dudes. And like, yeah, we snuck in, you know what I mean? Not until years later that I met uh, Kenji Jojima, who was the catcher. Yeah played with him um, and then all these other guys that, yeah, even Daisuke and his translator ran over and said, oh, you're Australian. I was like, yeah, like 2004. I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and they just, his head just dropped because it's, <laughs> because for months after that, they were like, it was not, and I'm not knocking Australia here, but it was a huge upset. Yeah. I mean, you know, heads were rolling after that because right. the whole country was just in just absolute despair because their national yeah. team, yeah, you know, went down. It's so yeah. cool, man. It's so such cool. a different thing from you know the the World Baseball Classic is such an awesome event, and I think especially I've I've gone to each one just as a fan, like since college when 
uh, when it started in 06. And I've got some friends who were sort of nerds into baseball that wanted to, to go to something like the WBC with me. So I've been to each one and it's cool to see like the way the interest grows. Um, but nothing, the national teams for baseball in Japan and Korea and Taiwan, they're like, it's, it's like World Cup soccer even to a larger degree you know it's like the way the way english people are obsessed with the three lines and all that like that is that's the national team in baseball in those countries uh to an even bigger level and uh and yeah it's pretty i mean the the knowledge of the fans over there and yeah the expectations and you know it's yeah it is a totally different it's a totally different beast dude the expectation that ichiro in 2009 after that wbc was first time on the on the well DL now IL. He had a stomach ulcer because of stress from that WB from that WBC. I swear to God, I'm not lying. He he had to he he got, he gets to spring training in Arizona, and I never forget. I'm like, oh, Ichiro's back from the WBC. Yeah. You know, yeah. mind you, Australia. I didn't play in that one, but Australia bowed out pretty early. You know, yeah. so um, but I was watching him. I was like, oh, he's killing it, and and you know, obviously did really well. And uh, he comes back, and like you know, day one he's not working out. Day two, day three, and it's all hush hush. And that look over in his locker and he's covered in towels. Like he's laying in the front of his locker covered in. I said, what's going on? He said, oh, no. I'm like, what? Like, is there something? And yeah. he's like, oh, very, you know, very stressful. I'm talking yeah. about Ken Banger's eyes, very stressful. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? Like they, you know, they, they killed it. What are, you, what are you talking about? Right. But dude, the pressure on him yeah. to perform was just like insane yeah. because yeah. that's what it means to him. And I had, you know, and, and you and I, I want to talk about Morosi here in a second. Yeah. Because <laughs> you and I are like, oh, Morosi is the man. Uh, <laughs> But um, it, it's cool to have him as an advocate because he's, yeah. you know, he's really influential when it comes to, you know, from a public standpoint, the international game, man. You and I, you're passionate about it. You get to work those tournaments from the, the young kids all the way to the Olympic qualifiers. Yeah. I got my first chance to broadcast, but I got to play in it. It's so cool. It should be a way bigger deal, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and the WBC is getting there, right? Right, right. And I agree completely. It's um, the, the way that the the loud voices about it have been able to draw attention to it. And, and JP is probably the, the biggest one among those. Yeah. It's so cool because I think, um, you know, especially from the standpoint of something like premier 12 last year, he, he brings so many eyeballs to an event like that, that otherwise would not know the, the ins and outs of it. Wouldn't know necessarily yeah. what time games are, when to watch all of that. Like it's an event, it's a big international baseball event, but it comes at kind of a different time on the calendar. It's November when people are pivoting to, you know, watching football or basketball or hockey or whatever it is. Um, but to advocate for an event and then have the event be so good. That's what's been so cool about watching the World Baseball Classic over the few times that I've gone just as a fan is I think people are sort of like, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by this whole international baseball thing. And then the event is so good that it hooks them. Like yeah. the way people talk about the the U.S. versus Dominican games, um, yeah. you know, in Miami and in San Diego last time around, uh, or even the the final, you know, with the with the U.S. beating Puerto Rico, um, people who watch the games or go to the games, they're part of that atmosphere. They realize like, oh, this is like everything I love about every other international yeah. competition. It applies to baseball, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so it's cool having those those people that are advocates for it because nobody listens to me. Nobody's like, yeah, hey, you know, oh, you know, yeah. coming on this podcast, it's like, oh, he's had like Mariners, future stars, and broadcasting legends, and here's this like Make a Wish kid from Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're kidnapping, you, man. I, 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 with this, I'm finding that. Um, and again, and I'll, we'll get to that in a second because you said something in the coffee shop. I want to talk about that coffee shop we went to, yeah, which was yeah. awesome. I'm going to get to that in a second. And, and something you just touched on something to remind me. But let's first of all, let's talk about 
dudes, right? Morosi, all yeah. right? I mean, we got a chance, and, and I, I maybe DM'd him a couple of times on Twitter before November, but yeah. he's a dude who just like, he rocks up. And I, first chance I got to say, hey, John, how you doing, Ryan? Oh, good to see you, like day one when you got to Japan. Yeah. And the guy's so busy. I mean, he's still yeah. with all kinds of stuff. He just, where do you start with him? Yeah. As a as a dude, man. I mean, because you and I like we're like giddy, like oh, how awesome is Morosi for so right. many different. Right. You just appreciate people like that because here yeah. he is, he's big time. He covers, you know, Garrett Cole's. Where's he going to sign? Next thing you know, he's pushing so hard for this right. to to get recognition. These Olympic yeah. qualifiers. But then I walked in anyway. So I walk on the field and he's talking to the the, Mexi- the team Mexico. And boom, just bust out Spanish and they're yeah, all loving, yeah. they're all giving him hugs. And then he rolls over to this dugout and they're all like, he's just has that charisma and that, that ability. I call it the ability just to listen yeah. and, and to have, be able to have a conversation. Right? Yeah, I think that's a perfect description of him. I remember you said that uh, one of the first times we were talking about getting to work with him and how good he is at being able to listen and what an undervalued skill that is too. And I think especially in our line of work, he, the other thing that I really admire about JP is he, you know, you hear people talk about it with, um, with politicians, you know, or with, uh, with doctors who are really successful or whatever, that they make you feel like you're the only thing that matters to them at that moment. And that's JP. And it's with JP, I think with, especially in the case of a politician or somebody who's trying to curry favor, I think it can come across as manufactured. It's so genuine. Genuine. There you go. There's the word. There yeah, it's when you have a conversation with him, you feel like you're the only thing that matters yeah. in his world at that moment because you are, I think. Yeah. And, and that's how the way he builds relationships with everybody. Yeah, like you walk into a stadium with, with John Paul Morosi and he knows everyone. It's everyone. Like, you just Crazy. got to Tokyo. How do you know all of the stadium staff already? Yeah. You know, like he just seems to know everybody. I know. He remembers Crazy. everybody's name, remembers stuff about their families. Like he's just... Yeah. And, and he's extremely intelligent. That's the thing that I think is, I have yeah, most about JP. Yeah. He's just such a brilliant guy, but he's he's brilliant in a way that he incorporates you into his world and he wants to be incorporated into your world right. and not in a phony way, not in yeah. a how can I use this kind of way. Yeah. He's so genuinely interested in people and in their stories and uh, there's so much authenticity with that. I mean, I got to, you know, the tournament was, I think in total we had maybe 12 days of games. Uh, and I think I learned as much from JP in those 12 days as yeah. any other broadcaster that I've worked with for the, you know, for sure. 12 years since I graduated college or whatever it is. Like, it's just, he is everything that you expect him to be when you see him on TV and more like yeah. he's that good of a guy. Yeah. I, I, I left Japan. It's funny. You mentioned how intelligent he is. I left Japan. I was like, man, I took so much from him. First of all, I had a blast, you know what I mean? Like it was so fun. But just listen to him and, and like you said, all the things you, you talked about. So, I, you know, I wrote all this stuff down about this, that and the other. And, and again, he's that guy that you feel comfortable enough shooting a text to and say, hey, what do you right. think of this? Right. And he, he, he'll be honest. If he doesn't have time, he'll tell you. Like, flat right. out, just say, hey, I just don't have time. You know? But, um, but then, then the part of that is like, oh, well, hold on. He's, really, he's a really smart dude, intelligent. I'm an idiot. That's probably why I'm not capable of this. <laughs> I swear, I was on the plane thinking, am I that dumb like that i can't quite do it to this level or just that what, what is it like you know it's no, right so he literally went to harvard okay right 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 that's exactly. a difference he did. university of nebraska he went to harvard it's kind of a yeah. it's kind of a difference between the two yeah, yeah, yeah. Love about him you know you you mentioned how he really is so accessible that you can just shoot him a text he checks in with me 
once a month, I'll just get a text from asking how I'm doing, asking how my family's doing, how my work situation is, all that. Like he's such a real human being. And I think, you know, the, the idea to never meet your heroes, uh, I think it's especially in 2020 society is so valid, but then sometimes you meet people like JP that are so authentic and you realize like, no, you can believe in people, you know? Um, yes, hundred percent. You I, can I, be that way. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. JP, the the thing that admire that I admire most about him is how hard he works at everything. So yeah. I got my start uh, in baseball as a, a minor league radio guy for uh, what was then an Atlanta affiliate, uh, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans in the Carolina League in '09. That was my first year there. Yeah. And I remember that summer. The funny thing about JP is it's like, oh, you're not really that much older than me. And you're an internationally known sports media celebrity. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I made it to double A once as a broadcaster. Uh, but I remember like being, a, you know, a, a class A advanced radio guy in the summer of 2009. And I get this email from John Paul Morosi. And I was like, there's no way this is real. But it was literally just him a couple weeks before the trade deadline. It's like Morosi, like with a Z instead of an S. <laughs> M-O-R-O-S and then a lowercase L. <laughs> But it was just like, he, he wanted to, uh, it was a couple weeks before the trade deadline. He wanted to check in and said like, you know, if you happen to notice anything, a guy is a late scratch or um, somebody, you know, isn't at the clubhouse one day or something like that. Give me a tip. Let me know uh, if you see anything that seems like maybe it suggests that there's a trade yeah. coming. And I was like, right. that legwork to seek out minor league broadcasters or whatever right. it is and develop contacts and sources and all that kind of stuff like that's such brilliant journalism. Yes. And, and yet, I think people would be surprised at how rare it is that people go to those lengths right. to be that good at what they do. Yeah. But he was so effortlessly good at everything. And he would tell you it's not effortless. Um, but he just, he comes across in such a genuine authentic way as yeah. such a good human being yeah and I'm, I'm i felt you know when they first told me oh we're working on getting uh jp morosi for premiere 12 i was like all right let's we'll see if that happens like <laughs> i think it's gonna be forced to work with me for two weeks like don't lower <laughs> him to that right. Right. and uh and then there was you know and and the day he showed up uh in the hotel lobby in mexico he and i did the first round in mexico yeah. You know, it's not just a, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. It's a big hug. Yes. Ask him about where you're from. What's your family like? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Like, he's just, he's the best, man. I'm, yeah. I'm so lucky to have gotten a chance to work with him and you guys. Yeah. And, and, and you, you said something, you know, you can be that way. So, like, you know, for the last couple of years, and, and I'm, yeah, like you are, like, I'm trying to, you know, push on and get more opportunities right. and, and you feel like oh, I've got to be a bit of a dick here. I've got to like be more right. exclusive or I have to, you know, um, walk around like I own this place and blah, blah, blah. All those little things. Um, because it's, you know, you come across that a lot in this industry where everyone, yeah. like the, the quote unquote talent, like I hate that term, like all right. oh, the talent, right. this, I'm like, oh, please, where it's this thing where all of a sudden everyone's here to watch me. But I think with, with yeah. Morosi, he understands that he's just kind of, yeah. not, not that he's lowering himself, but he's that medium to say he wants to tell stories and he's get hard to it. Yeah. 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 And, and it's just, it's like, oh man, you can be awesome. You can be nice to people and listen right. and, and all those things. And that's the way you go about it. And the other thing you said too, is the fact that he's doing all that legwork, like it's 2020, I get so sick on Twitter. It's like, if you want to be big time or get retweets and likes and engagements and all this, whatever that, however you market yourself, I don't know, it's a, I didn't know how to do it. I got no idea. But you have to say like, you have to have a jab at someone or you have to say something outlandish or whatever. 
with him, he just keeps it, first of all, genuine. Yeah. And he has information, intelligent information that he's gone and seeked out. He doesn't have to go and say, oh, you know, um, Mike Trout's going to uh, suck because but it was something dumb and then create headlines no, no, that way. I get so sick of it. Yeah. No, there you go. That's a hot take. Yeah, I get sick of everyone having to do their hot take. And right. even now, man, like watching players just, and I guess, you know, there's been no baseball. They've got nothing else to do. Just, I saw this last night. Current players just ripping on former players, yeah. or like, or this whole like, oh, when when you wouldn't be able to play now, and uh, and right. oh, oh, you see these two World Series rings, it's just right. like, guys, just right. chill out, like, right, exactly. I don't want a sixteen-year-old to look at that. It just looks right. brutal. Is this is what we're turning into? Right, you know and, I mean? and just hot takes—that's the word. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, and and just the the method of tearing each other down to make us all look better. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, that's one of the things that that I love most about JP and guys like him is I think his his interest in people's stories and in telling people's stories is so real and it's it's all for the right aims and the right reasons because yeah. I think he is he is that honestly interested in people and that yeah. honestly interested in telling their stories and yeah and the fact that he realizes that he is a, a messenger and a bridge but he's not supposed to be the story. That's exactly. one of the things that that I think he nails in his career. And I remember uh, listening to a podcast a long time ago with Matt Vaskersen, who's another guy that I love. Yes. Um, and and Matty V talked about that too, where he said, the moment is not supposed to be about you. He was talking about broadcasters who were just so showy. And, um, you know, from catchphrases and goofy voices and all that kind of stuff, like it's yeah. not supposed to be about you. If a dude comes up and he hits his first home run in his professional career and his family is there and whatever – let that moment play out. Right. Don't be the person who is so laser focused on screaming and talking through the whole highlight and making it all about how great of a broadcaster right. you are. Let that moment play out. I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to, to be put on the, the championship game for Premier 12 last year. And when Japan got that final out, um, I had a, my best friend from college, I posted the highlight uh, or WBSC posted the highlight on Twitter and I, I retweeted it. My best friend from college texted me and he was like, how long have you waited to do a moment like that where you get to just right. sit back and watch it for, yeah. I think it was like two minutes when we didn't talk. Yeah. And the camera shows the, the dog pile and shows the coaching staff yeah. and shows all these Japan fans going crazy. There's nothing in that moment that I can add that is going to make the moment any better. Yeah. And if some people yeah. feel like they're there, let them feel like they're there. They're immersed in the atmosphere. Yeah. They're immersed in the sound. And, and JP, was, who was on that broadcast with me, he, when I kind of brought it back and started talking again and I tossed it to him, he just nailed the moment. And it was just right. talking about the, the experience of, you know, the noise and the emotion and all of that. Um, and that, I think it's a rare gift because I think you do have to have a certain amount of ego to think like people will want to watch me on television or listen to me on the radio. Yeah. But in order to center yourself in yeah, I, I work for, you know, JP works for, he's worked for Fox Sports and for MLB Network and NHL Network and written for all these impressive outlets and all that. But to be somebody who knows it's my job to tell the story, it's not my job to be the story, that yeah. take there's an extra element in that that uh, that's what makes guys great. And there's a security in that too. Yeah. Like as opposed to, you know, people worrying about, um, not, not so much worrying about everyone liking them or anything like right. that, but, but you're right, man. Like, I feel like, and just back to the thing I see on social media all the time, it's just this insecurity of yeah. like, you know, whatever it is, trying to be a superstar or, or, or 
you know, manufacture some superstar. And it's like, right. dude, just let your pro, your whatever your brand or you're trying to brand yourself, identity, just play out. You know, right. people right. are going to like you. Kids are going to look up to you. Yeah. Be secure in the fact that you can trust that without having to rip on someone else or just be a right. complete turd on Twitter. You know and, what I mean? Just let, let your work be the thing that talks for you if you can. You know, I know we're yeah. in a, we're in a very difficult um, stage right now and it's, it's not that easy for a lot of people. Um, but if you are in a position where you work in an industry and you can go about it two ways, you can either be the person who puts your head down and does good work and gets rewarded for it, or you can be uh, a loudmouth blowhard who's trying to be the next well-paid hot take guy in the national yeah. media who's going to flame out in five years and everybody's going to hate. Like, right. I'm not going to be – the track that I want to be on is the track of just trying to do good work and be good yeah. to people. You know, yeah. there's – that in in uh, in that movie, almost famous. There's a line that Philip Seymour Hoffman talks about where uh, he's talking with the kid who works at his high school paper and how everybody hates him. The kid says everybody at the paper hates him, and uh, and Philip Seymour again, or Philip Seymour Hoffman says, "Well, you'll meet them all again on their long road to the middle." Like yeah. that to me. <laughs> yeah. If you're a person who just keeps your head down and does good work, yeah. Eventually, like you'll know what it's like to feel things both ways when things yeah. are good and when things are bad, right. and being good to people goes a long way in helping you feel like things are good or in creating gotcha. things yeah. that are good for yourself. For sure. Um, hey, speaking of, and, and I've, I've written it down to make sure I didn't forget about it. Uh, you and I went to a coffee shop now, now in, in Japan. Now, not, not that this coffee shop, if, you, if you're leaning in right now, listen to this podcast, you know, what happened to this coffee shop? It was nothing crazy. It was an epic coffee shop. I love coffee, by the way. It was awesome. <laughs> but, um, it was funny because you, I caught you walking across the street and uh, I said, oh, where are you going? I'm just like, I got nothing to do. Like, just- I'm pretty sure you had just gotten coffee. And I said, <laughs> I'm going to get coffee. And he said, I'm going to come get some coffee with it. I was like, all right. Yeah. Still like but in that couple of minutes, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, he probably just wants to be on his own. Like, <laughs> or to get some, I think he had work to do. I think he had to write for an MILB or something like yeah, that. Something good. So the whole walk over, I'm like, oh, he's probably thinking, man, really? You're tagging along. But whatever dude i don't care i was like that's look at this former big leaguer wants to hang out with me this is awesome <laughs> no but you know what i'm saying like sometimes yeah. like yeah you, know, you just yeah you, know, you want to go and you got to get work done or something like that um i didn't even think they had wi-fi in this place but how that yeah you, i don't you, know if they did you and your your international excursions found this little <laughs> hole in the wall in the middle of tokyo because I, I kept hitting these like chain like right I, I, yeah, I like the, the, the chain spots that, and, and I'm not trying to be all like indie and, and, and whatever and all this kind of crap. It's the Seattle area. It's, you have to well, be. dude, I've got my Revolutions coffee shirt. This, yes. is, this is my spot down the street. Shout out to Phil and uh, Damon and Austin, the boys now. Revolutions at Green Lake. Anyway, but um, no, so I'm like, oh, I really want to go to a really good coffee shop because it's been yeah. a while. You know, I've been in Tokyo and I know they had good ones, but you, know, you have to catch a train and do all this. Right, and, right. Know, in the middle of Harajuku or whatever. It's like, I'm not, anyway. So you walk into this place and it's awesome. The dude's got like, it's like, he's like, like pouring a cauldron. (laughs) I took a picture one day and there's like, yeah, they had this, this big, like copper, I don't even know what you would call it, but he's just like pouring the beans in and stirring. Yeah. It's like, he was up like a potion and there was like, (laughs) rising off of it. And you and I are sitting there like drinking our drinks, like, this is the coolest thing yeah. that we can watch today. I know, and I feel like uh, the poor dude, like two, you know, gringos walk in. It's like, yeah, yeah, can I get a venti <laughs> or something? And he's got the... Not the you guys do the, frappuccinos here? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and he's like, you know, slaving away, like just drip, drip, drip of this coffee. And then uh, here we go. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the thing that I love most about that coffee shop, you and I went there, I think three, four times. Oh, I did it every day. It was, it was I still and think about it. For a couple of day, for a couple of those days, we sat for like three hours talking, and I'm sure this dude at some point was like, "Are they going to get more coffee?" Or <laughs> over this entire place? but my favorite thing about it, and I realized like second or third day we were there, so they gave us to go cups with the lids, and there was a little sticker. Yeah, by the way, gave us to go cups as if to right, say, like beat it. You guys get <laughs> they gave us they gave us cups to stay first, and then they're like, "Here, take these to go one." Um, but there's yeah, a little yeah. put over the, the lid that the, the lid yeah. comes when you drink and, uh, it had a little cartoon guy on it. And I was like, yeah. I think that's the dude. Like, yeah. I think the cartoon is him. And we were walking out and you pointed at the thing and we were like, is that you? And he thought it was the greatest thing. Oh, yeah. Cracked up. was like, yep, that's me. It was I, awesome. <laughs> it's so great. So great. Oh, I dude. It's called, uh, Cancer coffee, K-A-N-T-A maybe? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it because oh, yeah. you know, I, was, I was hoping to give him a shout out because there is probably a good 50,000 people from Japan in Tokyo listening to right. this. I figured right. I want to totally. you know, totally. get some traffic so it can expand. And, that guy. <laughs> yeah. A nice endorsement deal, you know. Yeah. So you can um, buy a machine, just pump out <laughs> cups of ventes. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, it was awesome. And I just, I could give it to him, man. Like I, I, I love like, you know, I, I love like you know, coffee and, and everything else, but walking into this place. K-A-N-D-A, by the way. What is it? K A N D A. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which means um, supreme or something. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Okay, no, On chain coffee. Yeah, right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But um, you walk in super narrow. There's a couple of seats. No Wi-Fi either. You know, so you can't just sit there and like, you know, look at your Facebook all day. Whatever you're doing, right. post, do selfies of you in, you know, Tokyo at the, at the whatever the whatever the tourist attraction. Anyway, but um, but it, it was awesome. And um, and you know, just back to his shop. It's like, dude, look at this guy, man. He's just heart and soul pouring into this place. I loved it. It was so good. And the coffee was insane too. Yeah. Um, but we were having a conversation. You said something. You actually, you sort of alluded to the same fact. You talked about, and you just did it, it hit me so hard. And I've talked about it a lot since. I've talked about it with some of the kids I coach back in Australia. You talked about imposter syndrome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Talk me through that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you've got, um, you've got yeah. to explain you that one to me. You talked about your largest insecurities. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, basically. Uh, no, it's, you know, I think, um, yeah, you and I, that was one of our earliest conversations. And I, I sort of brought up the idea and you were like, oh, I felt like that every time I was on a mound. Oh, yeah. Game. And it's just like, it's the idea that, oh, eventually, eventually they're going to figure out that I don't belong here. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I don't really know what that's born from. You know, I, uh, I'm a person who never had you hear all the, the underdog stories in the world of people like, oh, they told me I couldn't do it and I did it. I don't think I ever had anybody tell me, oh, you can't do that, um, which I think is, you know, very much a function of being born a middle-class white guy in right. America. Yeah. Um, there are a lot fewer obstacles that I've had to overcome because it's a much more uh, inequitable society in that way. But I think there's just something in me that has always felt like you got to keep working, you got to keep doing more because yeah. – eventually if you slow down it's all going to be gone yeah and um and yeah it's weird and you know i think uh to a certain degree some of that is healthy um because i think it does drive you in in certain respects yeah. but it can definitely be unhealthy it can definitely be toxic if you get to a point where you think like 
I'm worthless. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Yes. So like striking that balance is really hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the people that I think I identify with most, um, you know, one of my absolute heroes in life is Conan O'Brien and Conan talked about that a lot of right. how like, he's pretty sure that at some point they're going to be like, Oh, you aren't supposed to do anything. <laughs> You're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to do yeah. 27 years of a late night TV show or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, especially getting to do stuff like the WBSC events, you know, the fact that I've broadcasted baseball in like a dozen countries or something now is just like, how have I gotten away? It's like robbing a bank. Like, how have yeah. I gotten away with this? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, uh, it really is about finding that balance between, um, trying to keep yourself humble and maybe overly humble. And also you wouldn't be there if there weren't people who thought you were good enough to be doing it. True. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You, ha you ha do have to remind yourself of that. Absolutely. Right. You mentioned something you said, you know, um, middle-class white dude in America. See that that's just it. It's a situation you could, and again, I know you obviously you're talking about how you've got some privilege and everything else, yeah. but you could easily ended up in a cubicle nine to five, right. you know, 20 years down the track and looking forward to your six pack of beer on a Friday and going, right. what the hell just happened? Right. That's the right. alternative sometimes. Yeah. Right? And, and that is definitely, um, there's always been a, a driving force in me to not, be that and yeah. not to take anything away from anybody yeah, absolutely. That. it's just not my life and it's not yeah. anything that I ever wanted and uh and yeah I mean it's you know if we were having this conversation this time last year uh I think I'd be a lot more on the um the philosophically positive side of it all <laughs> yes it's, it's difficult right now you yeah. know I mean yeah. in a world where uh you know I've lost two-thirds of my work mm -hmm. and um yeah. and you and you there's so much uncertainty that you don't look at it as thinking like, well, as soon as this is over and everything goes back to normal, like we don't yeah. know what normal looks like from here on. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 35 on Sunday. I don't feel like I've ever had a job really, you know, yeah. like I get to do things that, that make me happy. And right. it's not, you know, I, I talk to people like, you know, you text them on a Sunday and it's yeah. like, oh, well, tomorrow's Monday. So I'm, you yeah. know, I'm miserable. And it's like, I've never, right. never had that. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. And, and yeah, back to the, the imposter syndrome. I, uh, I've dealt with that literally. Like I, I made my major league debut and I made it actually just a couple of days ago, 13 years ago. And I'm watching yeah, yeah. the clip. Yeah, video. yeah. Yeah. So I'm watching the clip and I kind of like, it was not bittersweet, but it was like, it was awesome to watch, but it yeah. just kind of made me like think, but it took me back as, cause I knew I, you know, I wanted to get you on, on here and talk about this. Cause dude, it, it hit a nerve with me massively yeah. because literally Days after that, I literally, like you said, I'm waiting for someone to come and go, hold on a sec, what's your name again? Right. Oh, we've got right. the wrong, like, you're not supposed to be here. Like, I've, I've lived with that. And it's, it's one of these things, man. Like, I was talking to, um, I had Matt Boyd on the podcast um, yeah. with the Tigers the other day. Great dude. Yeah. And we sort of talked about, like, needing something to fuel your fire or someone to tell you you can't do something. And I said, oh, yeah, for me, I had this coach who told me I was fat and lazy. I'll never, never make it through a year through pro ball. And that like, really, you know, got me going. And he kind of, not that he shot it down, he goes, yeah, but that's not really healthy. You don't need that. But I'm like, no, oh, whoops. You know? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself about this. It's like, it's, it, it is, can get really unhealthy, especially yeah. right now. Like during COVID-19, you're sitting there and you said there's so much uncertainty and you sit there and go, well, this is where I'm supposed to be because, right. you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, this was meant to happen as and opposed to. 
that's a really difficult balance right now too, because yeah, I've had plenty of days over the last few months where I thought like life would be a lot better right now if I had just gone into the energy industry, you know, or if I had gotten a job as a, as a PR copywriter or something, but it's born right now out of that sense of uncertainty of what happens next. And if I, if I knew, you know, a year from now, things will feel relatively normal. You'll have the broadcasting work back. You'll still be writing, whatever. Like Mm -hmm. I would never entertain the thought of maybe I should get a real job. Right. Um, But yeah, there's like right now, there's so much of that fear because I don't know what 2021 looks like. I don't think anybody does. I know. It's crazy. I mean, you look at it and like you said, there's just like a new normal. It's funny. I'm watching, I'm envious of these dudes. So, you know, Gary and Green Lake and, and um, you know, go for a run or something like that, you know, about 20 miles, not bragging. Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm running and I'm seeing these dudes like, you know, it's around, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock and they're just like running oh, like this and, then, you know, whatever, having a conversation with their buddies because they're working like the tech industry, just loving right. it. They, they're working right. at home and they're just killing it right now. You know, I'm like, oh, you... Like, what am I doing right now? And it's so weird too to like to to have uh, a world where there are so many of us out here. I mean, there are 40 million people that have filed for unemployment. Like, there are so many yeah. people out here who are struggling so badly. Yeah. And for other people whose worlds haven't been affected, it's like, oh, I'm still working the same job, still making the same money. Yeah. And also, I've been saving a lot of it because I can't go to restaurants, I can't go to games, I can't go to concerts. Yeah. Like, there's such a dichotomy right now between. Yeah people who are in our situation and people who have not really been affected by it. Right. And that is a really tough thing to, to yeah. kind of get But I, I, there is some comfort in the fact that you're not alone. Could you yeah. imagine, yeah. Um, I couldn't imagine if, if, and people go through this all the time, lose your job, yeah. can't get a job, no one wants to hire you or you, something happens, you say something publicly, let's say you're in broadcasting, you say something publicly and you just get blacklisted. I right. couldn't imagine you sitting there going, well, this is my profession. This is my skill set. Right. And I'm sitting there and there's zero income coming You're in. Just I could, done. You're just out yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, um, you know, or you get caught in a circumstance. Like we've got a, you know, the, the Denver Post is uh, a company owned by uh, an evil vulture capital group out of New York that's basically made its MO over the last 10, 15 years of buying newspapers, bleeding them dry and shutting them down called Alden Global Capital. And, you know, you think about like, this once thriving industry that is, you know, Sports Illustrated is that way right now, Deadspin, um, where they get they get bought up by these people who just want to leech the life out of them and then kick all those people out into the street. And it's just like you pursue something for so long because it is something that you love. Yeah. And uh, it's difficult when it feels like those things don't love you back, right. you know, whether it's a sport or an industry or, yeah. um, you know, something like that. And uh, when things are good, there's nothing as good as the feeling of being able to do something that you love for yeah. a living, but it's, it is really tough when things are bad. So tell me about this company. So you're talking about um, the Denver post, right? So, okay. So what's the strategy here? And I'm just throwing it out there yeah. for them to come in buy, and then basically talk me through that one. So this company, uh, they're based in New York um, and they've done this with a bunch of newspapers across the country, but they pretty much come in. Um, Nick Groke, who's the the Rockies beat writer now for The Athletic, used to be uh, with the Denver Post. He had a thread on Twitter about this a few years ago about how there's a a large misnomer um, about a lot of uh, media outlets and publications in the country, the Denver Post being one of them, that it's just like, oh, they just hemorrhage money. They They don't make a profit, they don't anything. And it was like, the Denver Post is actually very profitable 
but in showing profit and then being spun off to a company like this, um, that organization goes in and pretty much does everything it can to slash costs, uh, i.e. staff. Yeah. Uh, the Denver Post used to have uh, a building across the street from the Capitol building in the city of county building in Denver, right in downtown Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, they since have moved the entire staff out of the city limits of Denver. They now share their offices with like their printing press, basically. They're nowhere near anything that they're covering. Yeah. Um, and since I think it's over the last five years, the staff is down 75% from where it was. Wow. So this company just comes in, takes a, a profitable business, tries to ratchet up something like ad revenue while cutting costs, meaning slicing employees off the yeah. payroll. Uh, and then eventually, if the if the thing turns into a, an unsustainable operation, sorry, guess that's that. Um, and it's sad that, you know, so, so it's not, it's not, it's not a strategy where this company comes in and goes, Oh, we're just going to move this online basically. Right. right. I mean, no, it seems it's to more, it's, there's, there's a different process going on. Right. It seems yeah. to be a lot more of just a, a purely vampiric kind of thing where it's, we're yeah. going to suck everything out of this organization and then move on. Right, and, wow. uh, and that's, that's devastating. You know, sports illustrated is going through that right now with Maven. Um, Deadspin, you know, after the, the troubles that, uh, that Gawker media had, uh, you know, Deadspin gets spun off a couple of different times and now they're owned by a company that's doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's discouraging because the, I think the model exists for media companies to be sustainable, but I think the people that are in the business of buying and owning media companies right now don't really care about keeping them sustainable. They just care about right. making enough money as, well, yeah. as long as they can. Yeah. And then, and then on, on, on the, on the, the end of that, I mean, basically, you don't get different opinions, publications, or different right. writing. It's right. just this disposable, quick, right. you know, twenty-four hour news cycle, and it's yeah. all the same message because it's yeah. basically under the same umbrella, right? You know, I was watching this documentary the other night on the history of the National Enquirer and how the National. Oh, Enquirer, I, I need to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating, and how the National Enquirer became one of the most read. It was the most read weekly publication in America for a while and how their tactics started bleeding over into mainstream media and how they covered events and how they went about um, you know, sourcing stories and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like the, there was a comment made by um, a writer from, they had footage from this old like media round table from probably the early 90s. There's a comment made from a writer, uh, I think for the Washington Post, who said, if, if we end up in an ecosystem where the lowest common denominator is driving news coverage, that's a bad reality for all mm -hmm. of us to exist in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think in large part, we live in a world like that right now, yeah. where a guy yeah. who used to be on the front page of the National Enquirer on a week to week basis is now the most powerful person on the planet. Like, I think it's, right. we've fed into this, this ecosystem where things don't sell as well as the Kardashians. And so therefore they're not covered or things don't sell as well yeah. as, uh, you know, whatever other celebrity scandal. So they're not going to be covered where yeah. it's, the things that aren't getting covered may have the longest reaching and farthest reaching implications, but they're not being discussed because they don't sell advertising dollars. Uh, and that's, yeah. yeah, we're in a, we're in a real tough spot with that. It's a, it's a tough time for people to do serious journalism. Yeah. It's, and, and, and going back to like, just having a conversation with people like saying, Oh man, do I have to hear more about any more about frigging Kardashians or something like that? Right. A lot of people's response, if they're being honest, is like, yeah, but I just want to zone out and just watch right. some crap on TV. You right. know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind of where it's headed. And, and zone you out know, from what, you know what I'm saying? It's right. And, and I think there, there is something to be said for, um, you know, I think all of that stuff deserves to be able to exist in a landscape where it is that, where it is escapism. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we now live in a world where 
it's so much more of it, it sucks the life out of everything else around it. There's yeah. no air in the room for the serious stuff, you know, mm-hmm. prior, I think, to the last few months when a lot more of that has been uh, more readily digested by people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, I don't, uh, I don't like that we seem to live in a world where people can't juggle multiple things at once. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's too much of that. Like, I just want to, I just want to escape from everything. And it's like, yeah, but if we all do that, nothing improves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Hey, I'm um, speaking about, um, it, trying to improve something. I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to spin this back into something I really want to talk to you about. Cause I mean, I can see, I'll sit here for three hours and, and, and I'll keep you for three hours talking about and go down a rabbit hole. Damn. I want to talk about, okay. The minor leagues doesn't get a whole lot of, and obviously with, with MLBPA and, and Major League Baseball arguing and the whole, you know, this last month has just been crazy right. witnessing and just like shaking your head. And they basically went back to what they had in March, pretty much with 60 games. Minor League Baseball, which is a huge industry, mm-hmm. whether you're a player and everyone talks about minor league salaries and everything else. But outside of that, everything attached to that, these small towns that yeah. are atta- and. Basically, what's happening right now, minor league baseball, 2020, it's looking like no season yeah. right across minor league baseball. Is that, I mean, you cover it. So is that something that's looking like? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the thing that's so difficult about it from the MILB perspective right now is we have 160 teams, whatever it is, and the there are 43 states that have at least one minor league team. Yep. And trying to get, you know, you take a league like the the Pacific Coast League that has 16 teams in, in all four time zones. Um, how do you get, especially now where we're seeing record numbers of, of positive COVID cases yeah. every single day from, you know, 13 states yesterday or whatever it was. Um, how do you get to a point where you can coordinate local health departments and state health agencies and cross border yeah. state to state travel. And where are these teams coming from? Are they in a hot spot? Are they going to a place that's been doing a better job, but they're not like, it's just, there's so many different factors at play. That's what's making it the most challenging uh, for minor league baseball at the moment. And, um, you know, and yeah, nothing could be done about minor league baseball until major league baseball got its season figured out. Yeah. And with that just being yesterday, um, especially the manner in which it happened, you know, it's almost July. Like it's, yeah. we would have already been a couple of weeks into the short season seasons, um, yeah. which is rookie ball and, and short yeah. season class A. And um, it's, it's so weird to be in this stage where it's like, people haven't even really thought about what does this mean for the minor league season right. on, on that large scale. Um, but yeah, it's uh, minor league baseball has been in a really tough spot this whole time, just from a logistical standpoint. And now, uh, with a, a timing standpoint, it's it feels yeah, yeah like uh, kind of a, an impossible task. I, I just feel like it just kind of gets brushed to the side, you know what I'm saying? And, and look, I spent you know a ton of time in the minor leagues. You've got people who own that's their entire business, they own a minor league team. Well, you got these fans. I was talking about, yeah, you know, uh, John Ryan. He was a punter with the Seahawks. Yeah. yeah. When he played for the Packers, he used to go to the Appleton, yeah, um, the Wisconsin yeah. Timber Rattlers, right? Timber Rattlers, yeah. People, they they name their pets after the the, right. the you know, what I mean, they're just like they're diehard, and that's all yeah. they've got, you know, like as far as entertainment and everything else. And I'm not saying you know, oh, Paul, them or anything like that, but it's going to be interesting to see once 2021 rolls around. 
I mean, are these teams just going to go like go under? These yeah. are they just going to go? They're going to have no money. Sorry, we haven't got the team this year. Right. There's got to be such a ripple effect that I don't think people are quite appreciating right now. When you just kind of brush up, oh, the minor leagues, they're they're good. We're just yeah. going to have X amount of players ready for the big league season or the taxi squad. Who cares? Yeah. I just yeah. feel like it gets brushed aside, and it's, there's got to be so many things that we're going to see come out in the next couple of months and next year or so. Right. It's going to be quite like detrimental, I think. And the, the thing that's so difficult is, you know, when all of this started, there were discussions, you know, dating back to last year that were first reported of, of minor league contraction, where um, supposedly there was a plan to eliminate 42 minor league teams. Yep. And um, that drew a lot of backlash, um, you know, even on a bipartisan political scale, you know, Bernie Sanders was holding rallies with minor league front office employees in Iowa ahead of, yeah. ahead of the primary there. And, um, but then the pandemic hits and then all of a sudden you have these operations that are supposed to make all of their money from April to September. And now they have no economic base. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough because if the, the contraction thing goes through for 2021, now you're talking about 40 some teams that never got a chance to say goodbye. You know, the 2019 yeah, season, right. they went out and played and uh, a lot of them, there are a lot of teams on the, the list that was leaked, uh, which has since been uh, debated as to how accurate that is. But a lot of teams that are listed on, on being the, on the chopping block have very dedicated local fan bases, you know, and, and thousands and of businesses around that stadium too. Right. You know, right. a restaurant that they parked right next to that place yeah. and paid a hefty amount to rent that space because it's right next to this summer in, months. You know, in uh, in circumstances like the Appalachian League where uh, those teams are all in, in tiny communities and in largely rural areas, um, you know, for, for the people who staff the concession stands or are taking tickets or yeah. working as ushers or whatever it is, elderly people or people who don't get a whole yeah. lot of work otherwise, that's an economic engine for them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really tough. The, the thing that I think as a, as a baseball fan, what concerns me most about it is you look at the way that sports, the popularity of sports have exploded in, in all the other major sports in America um baseball for so long has been so open about its struggles to attract young fans the reason why there was a study done by i think it was a harvard business school shout out to jp morosi um, a couple <laughs> years ago about why baseball fans tend to skew older and they talked about how baseball is something that people come back to later in age it's not as mm -hmm. though old people just turn into baseball fans Right. People come back to baseball because baseball, at least, you know, up until this point in history is so accessible for everybody in the country. It seems like it's right. the, the cheapest of the major sports to afford. You're very likely located close to either a major league or a minor league team. Um, and if you go to those games when you're five, six, 10, 14 years old, and you see, you know, oh, I saw Mike Trout play when he came through wherever, Arkansas. Yeah. Or I saw Ken Griffey Jr. play when he was in yeah. Everett or wherever he yeah. played when he was in, up there. Like the, the relationship that you can create in baseball is not the same as what, you know, as many people as saw LeBron James play at St. Vincent St. Mary's Academy or whatever it was in, uh, in Akron, it's not, it's not really the same as if yeah. he's all of a sudden on a Cavaliers affiliate and he's playing in 12 yeah. different cities and you just don't have that same relationship. And so that's been one of the largest foundational elements of baseball's fandom. 
And now to just like lop off 25% of the industry that has created that in small communities, that's where I think a lot of that risk comes in. Yeah, right. um, But I don't think we're going to know the, the impact of that for a long time either, because it's going to take a while before you start to see the long-term trends project out. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, you, you watch the, you're a baseball fan when you're a you know, kid, then you go off and you know, backpack Europe, go play spike ball every weekend yeah. and go to college or whatever, and then boom. Yeah, you know, you, and then you kind of come back to it. I, I never thought of it like that. You know, yeah. What would you, okay, putting you on the spot here. MLB always talks about you know that that younger demographic and that, and that fan base younger. How do they do it? Yeah, you, um, you know we talked about this with uh, with Nick Heath from the Royals organization a couple of weeks ago on the the minor league podcast because we're you know that was in the in the heat of the the first couple of weeks of protests after George Floyd's murder yeah. and all that. And um, with Nick, we were talking about like as a, a young black player in the minor leagues how do you view the next steps for baseball in getting black athletes more involved in the game and reaching kids who are in lower income areas and all that kind of stuff. I think one thing that baseball needs to do is figure out a way to make itself more accessible and not less accessible, um, especially in ways that are, that are tangible and hands-on and even removing the component of eliminating teams. Um, Even just from a playing standpoint, there are so many financial barriers to kids getting into playing baseball, especially nowadays with the fact that being scouted and being drafted or going to college or whatever has been so taken over by perfect game and by the the travel circuits and showcases and all that. Like I would never have had, my family wouldn't have had thousands of dollars to send me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so many young athletes see that and go, well, I'm not going to waste my time with baseball. Um, And that I think is a tremendous deterrent because if you can go down to your local rec center and get on a basketball team for $25 or whatever it is. I don't have kids. I don't know how money works. Um, I, I don't know why you would look at baseball. <laughs> the hat collection behind you, we're going to talk about that in a second. That's gone, champion. There's a crib right there. Boom. Yeah, I don't have gonna... kids. Those are, yeah. <laughs> those are my kids. It's a real sound investment I made. That's a garage sale so you can pay for the crib. All right. <laughs> I thought that was a backdrop. Anyway, yeah, continue. Sorry. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like I don't know – why if I'm a kid who has many potential routes forward athletically, baseball is a difficult one to choose if I'm not in a circumstance where my family can handle that. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think nowadays one of the other risks is by eliminating some of the, the bulk of the minor leagues and by slicing the draft down so much, if I'm a kid who is a two sport athlete in high school and I think to myself, well, I could have been a, a 10th round pick in baseball or I can play basketball or football or soccer or yeah. hockey or whatever and get a scholarship and go to college and do that. Why am I picking baseball now? And I, I don't know if baseball is in the current moment able to answer that question. I think yeah. they're going to push a lot of athletes away from it um, with those types of decisions and, and the fans who now don't have access to it or seemingly won't have access to it. Um, that's a real, that's a real issue. Yeah. So it's something less accessible. Yeah, on, on, on the on the kid side of things, you mentioned, you know, the, this perfect game and, and it's expensive. You have to yeah. latch on to this travel ball team that you have to pay year round, 12 months. Yeah. And all of a sudden these tournaments, because again, it's a big industry. So they're trying to cram in as many tournaments as they can. And you have to go to this one, have to go to that one. But it's 12 right. months a year, obviously the arm injuries and not having an off season, all this. You don't have time to play another another sport. So if, if, if you're, like you said, if you're a two sport athlete, and all of a sudden you have to pay a monthly, your parents have to pay this monthly thing to go play travel ball. Then you have to 
travel there and get a hotel and, and all this kind of stuff. And again, yeah. I know other sports, it's the same way. The other thing is too, you mentioned, now the, the, it's going to be interesting to see how the draft works and less high school kids get picked because there's less levels in the mine leagues and yeah. so on and so forth. Therefore, picks out of college ranks. College baseball, you're paying to go play college baseball. Yeah. It's 11.7 scholarships for 20, what, eight kids or something yep. like that. You're not going to get a full ride. And if you do, you better kill it that first year. You're going to lose yep. that. You know? yep. Why? I, man, I can't afford to go to this school. Yeah. You know? And everyone says, well, then go to JUCO. Well, then all of a sudden you go to JUCO and, and first of all, your education is not going to be as good as if going to some, this other big school. Right? And that's a big part of it, getting an education. Yeah. Not everyone's going to play in the big leagues. And then all of a sudden, you know, who knows what's going to happen in two years. It's just, you, you yeah. make a great point, man. I mean, if, if I'm a teenage kid, it's really going to start slicing off who really yeah. wants this. Right. <laughs> all of a sudden exactly. it's the same group of kids because the other kids are going to have the sport. Right. And there, there are just so many variables when it comes to baseball that it doesn't feel like there are with other sports. And I think, you know, the, the thing that you risk losing now is, and everybody points this example and it's such an outlier example, but like, there's never going to be a Mike Piazza again if the draft yeah. is five rounds. Mike Piazza yeah. was like a 57th, like a round that yeah. doesn't even exist anymore, yeah. whatever it was. Um, we're not going to see those stories. Now, I will say, and I think it's important to note, that Major League Baseball has said that there will be some form of organized baseball in these communities that would theoretically be losing their minor league teams, whether it's a, a collegiate summer league of some kind or a league for kind of undrafted players and all that. Maybe that will be great. Maybe they'll figure out a way to make that work and make it sustainable and all that. And maybe that is, I've had thoughts, you know, every once in a while about just like opening yourself up to the possibility that it could be successful. Mm -hmm. And if it is, maybe it creates this whole other avenue for kids to get in in a way that previously they would have gone through the draft and all of that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how feasible that all is. It seems uh, difficult, but maybe something unconventional is what is needed to, to rejuvenate things. But I think the college baseball point is is a really good one because yeah like you hear all these people that are like oh college baseball is going to be so lit next year because of all these guys who didn't get drafted who are going to college it's like not necessarily because yeah. those dudes don't necessarily have the option to right. pay to go play exactly college. yeah and, 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 and a big time program is impossible i know and if they're on the fence about man like you know i want to i want to play in the big leagues but yeah i can't afford to go back to school or i need to get a job or whatever they're hitting right. that age where it's like my friends are you know, about to leave and go get a job or whatever. What am I doing? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And the other thing is too, I've heard, you know, the different talks about turning these teams into like, you know, co collegiate, whatever, or independent, whatever. But the problem is with that too, I think, you know, these MLB teams will gather up all these young high school prospects and just create their own academy in Peoria, Arizona for the marriage. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so okay. then they're all just going to be at some facility and no one's, going to benefit from good baseball because they're at some six field facility. You know? And I think too, like one of the, the elements of the minor league system as it exists right now is it enables people to latch on to a big league club. If I right. live in, in great falls, Montana, I have a connection to the Chicago white Sox, right. you know, and that's, yeah. um, it's such a different thing than every other, you know, I mean, to an extent, like, yeah, sure. The NBA has the G league, um, yeah. you know, 
I guess minor league hockey. I don't really know the ins and outs of minor league hockey as well, but with affiliations, I feel like that's more of a, uh, an area where hockey fans, I think are in love with the sport and are in love with their team. They're not necessarily quite as much of, Oh, this guy played for the Lake Erie monsters and now he's on this NHL team. And that's, you know, I follow that whole evolution. It just seems like with baseball, there's so much more of a connection of, you know, when, uh, when Bryce Harper was drafted and all of a sudden he was in Hagerstown, people in Hagerstown yeah. got to be part of that. They got to be yeah. part of that journey. Right. Um, and to, to not have that is difficult because there are so many question marks that go into, yeah, even if there was a, a successful type of system where, um, you know, guys are playing in these summer leagues, then all of a sudden they're going on to something else. They're still all going on in different directions. It's not, yeah. oh, look at our guy. He played so well here, and now he's at this level and at this right. level. This level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something that baseball has had for so long that that would be sacrificed with that. Hey, um, while, and I've got to ask this before we go. Show me the, um, the hat collection. Yeah. Talk me through that, dude. So, so, they, so <laughs> what do we got? So I'm some- missing one right here, which I, I must have worn yesterday. Is that a blue socks hat? No. Yeah, down, uh, where is the blue, uh, blue socks or somewhere. Can you zoom in with that? I've got a whole, there it is. <laughs> got a whole ABL, got a whole ABL wall here, uh, or a column there. So yeah, so I, uh, oh, and it continues on this wall too. Um, so yeah, I've kind of just, uh, I've always been in it. This is great content for people who are listening on like the Apple. Podcast. I know, I do, I do that every time. I'm like, oh, look at, look at what you got on. And I'm like, yeah, whoops. No Let me show you an intensely visual thing on this audio media. Yeah, basically, I'll I'll talk him through. Tyler has this giant glass case in his huge man cave in the um, the mansion in in Denver, Colorado, <laughs> with every hat is signed by someone who played for future that Hall team. of Famers. All yeah, future. Yeah, no, he's got a hat collection um, going on. It's actually a backdrop. It's just it's just my, the. Uh, um, by the way, speaking of that, and I spoke to Morosi about that. When passing, do you see that when passing on Twitter? Said, yeah. Oh, were you surprised or did you know yeah, it was I was shocked. I had no idea. So I actually did not even see it uh, when Passon did it. A couple of days before Passon did the big reveal, there's a dude who's actually a, me- a member of, uh, of Mariner's Twitter. Uh, he tweeted something and he was like, I don't believe that that's an actual book drop behind Jeff Passon. I think that's a, I think that's like poster board. Really? And I was like, whoa, I think this guy's right. And then all but of a sudden- The lighting and everything. And like, yeah. I, like yeah, I can't stop looking at it because he's on Twitter. He's on popping up on Twitter all the time. I, and yeah. I keep- I'm like looking at like, okay, it's just so different. He should have done it. He should have have kept it. I, uh, so I got a a bookcase also because I felt like, well, what are the odds that eventually I do have to do something over like Zoom or or Skype? I should probably have something that's like a decent backdrop. Um, And then I tweeted about it as a joke and was like, I now have a very serious Skype backdrop uh, for when I get interview requests. And then no joke, like three days later. Go like Dr. Zeus books back there. (laughs) All my where's Waldo's. Um, like three days later, I got a request from a Korean TV network. I saw that. Yeah. It was like, Hey, could you come on and talk about like the start of the Korean baseball season, what it means to American fans and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And I was like, this is the perfect time to debut my bookcase. This is fantastic. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the hat collections. Yeah. Uh, you, you had all these Korean publications. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't believe you noticed those. Yeah. So it, just, it just happened to be behind me. Uh. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the the hat thing started. I mean, when I was a kid, I was always super into hats. Um, but it, it really started when I got to the minors, of course. And I remember uh, the first time I got an email, my first season in the minor leagues, of a, a guy with the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes asking if I wanted to do a hat trade. 
And I was like, I've never even heard it. What is that? What is a hatch rate? And he was like, I'll just buy one with my employee discount. You buy one with your employee discount. We'll just mail them to each other. And I was like, this is a fantastic idea. So I did that with several teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, some of them are, are gifts from people yeah. or, you know, if I go to a minor league game in a certain place, I'll, I'll get a hat there or, um, you know, the international stuff. I've got um, Japan, Korea, Mexico, Panama, Colombia, Italy, uh, places where I've done games. Uh, well, I mean, it's basically just an excuse to get people to watch this, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm trying to say like, oh, geez, I'm going to watch to check out those hats and check out that glass case in his man cave <laughs> with a pool table and in my a huge uh, fish my, tank. My <laughs> 900 square foot palace here. It's, yeah. uh, That's yeah. why I'm sitting here. I've got the worst backdrop. I'm like, man, I need like a, a, a backdrop or something. I'm like, what do I have? Like, Wait, seriously. Attic? There's like this sloped roof. It's like I very am on the, I am on the I am on the top floor. Okay. Six okay. levels. <clears throat> That'd be good. About 6,000 square foot. <laughs> I played in the big leagues. So. One, of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Ryan for those uh, tuned in is the fact that it took me like probably two days before I could nail down your comedic timing with how easily you work jokes in. Like earlier when you <laughs> I went on a run earlier, like 20 miles. Um, I never, like I'm so over the top when I deliver something that's supposed to be a joke and you get them all in there so <laughs> smart. And I know, especially like that first day at the coffee shop, I just would have been like, yeah, 20 miles, wow. Yeah, I yeah, wow. yeah. And sinker. Man, but, a good yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, uh, speaking of, I do have a story real quick. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. try because I know you got to get out of here. Yeah. But, um, I, gotta, I, gotta I, to- I told a buddy, a buddy of mine, so... I hadn't seen this guy. We had a bit of a falling out. We're, we're like literally childhood best friends. Luke Bryan, yeah. if he's listening, I don't know if he listens or not. Probably not. But, but we, I mean, we talk all the time. I got like my little circle of friends. Um, we talk over Voxer. You know, it's like a little yeah. Yeah. recording thing. Yeah. Um, so he's on that, obviously. So um, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. So my sister, Steph, um, she since had lived in London and lived in Hong Kong. Right. And this whole thing. And... Um, and <laughs> we're, we're there and, and my dad, we're in the car, my dad, um, my dad calls, right? And he's like, oh, you know, we're talking about Christmas. I said, oh yeah, Steph and Will, you know, Will's coming over this and that. And, and he makes some passing joke like, oh, your sister's boyfriend. Like, I'm sure he feels good about that. Right. I said, yeah, man, it's pretty awkward. I said, cause he doesn't speak English. You know, so he's Chinese cause she's living in Hong Kong. I said, it's hard because my dad's like, you know, he doesn't speak English. And, and, he, and I said, it's weird, man, because my sister and him, and I'm just like the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. I said, yeah, like they just kind of communicate. Like sometimes they use like Google Translate, but they don't talk a whole lot. But she's really happy. Like I'm just making up this whole story. And he's like, what? So he's just singing. And because we hadn't seen each other for a couple of years, so he can't call me out on it, you know? And so I get distracted and we're driving. I forget to tell him I'm just, I'm, I, get, I forget to tell him right. I'm joking. Right. right? <laughs> So months go by, he's at my dad's house and, um, and, he, and he's sitting there and he's like, um, and my, my dad's talking about Christmas. He's like, oh yeah, well, Will, Steph and Will slept over here. You know, they slept on the fold out, but something like that. I'm like, oh sweet, you know, I'm not even paying attention. And Luke's looking at me like, whoa, you know, like this. And I'm like, what, what are you looking at me like that? We get in the car, I said, why are you acting so weird? He goes, oh, because it would have been so weird. Like, you know, Will doesn't even speak English and, and with your sister there and your dad, like, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Forgotten entirely. Forgot I said, oh, that's right. I said, oh, I'm, I'm kidding, dude. He's English. Like, he's actually English. They moved to Hong Kong together. I said, he goes, oh, what? He goes, I've told so many people that Steph's dating someone they can't even speak to each other. And I'm like, are you kidding? So I had to, I had to do like the trail of people that he had spoke to. <laughs> to do and, contact tracing. Yeah, I had to text and say, hey, by the way, like um, Steph, Steph's now husband, they, <laughs> they can communicate with each other. Like, it's not some weird <laughs> thing where they live like in a... 
It was brutal, man. I'm like, it's amazing. Anyway, but it's one of that. I do that all the time. Like even with, even with my wife. It's I do so that. good. I mean, so but she's she's been around me long enough. She's like, yeah, whatever. I know you. But I just make up the most ridiculous stories and and try and catch you know. But um, I think we did that a couple of times in in November. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you seem right. to you seem to figure it out pretty quick. But yeah, I got onto it. I think after that first day, I was like, oh, like ninety percent of what he says, <laughs> I got to make sure that I'm I'm leaning into to to know if it's a joke or not. That's right. Little, little icebreaker. I did that with Morosi. He's like, I'm never speaking to this guy again. Nah. <laughs> I'm kidding. But hey, guys, hey, Tyler, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks for finally getting the time for to doing do it. it. Yeah, for sure. You got to come back on again. If there's, absolutely. If there's some hot take or something you want to yeah. come on and say and rip yeah. some on the shreds, let's yeah, go. absolutely. I'm gonna, awesome, I'm gonna just, I'll dice up your whole career. <laughs> yeah. Outing by outing, like <laughs> this game, 2007. It's gonna be it. Be yeah, great. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be hard to do. Trust me. People listening, like Neil. My favorite, I just want everybody to, to know my favorite story from Premier 12. Uh-oh. We watched games together. Uh-oh. We did. You probably don't even remember this. We did a game. Uh, it, was, it was late-ish in the, the super round, the second round. Uh, you and I didn't work together for the opening round for people who uh, didn't get a chance to tune in, but we worked together starting in Tokyo. And I think it was just a game that you and I were on. We only got to do one game that was just the two of us. Yeah. But I think it was that game. And uh, there were, we had been talking like earlier on in a commercial break about stumbling over our words. Cause I felt like I was stumbling over my words that day. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think too, cause we we're both like, we we're both like, and I'm guilty of this too. You like to talk a lot. So otherwise, so I'm like, you were saying something. And I was jumping in. Right. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Keep going. Which is good because yeah. we, had, I don't feel like we stepped on each other. I feel nah. like we meshed really well. Right. Like you yeah. knew when I had a thought that was done and you want to jump in and get a point. And I know yeah. like we had a lot of that. Yeah. But uh, but I think like we got into a break and I was like, I cannot get a sentence out. Like you just have those days sometimes of broadcast where yeah. you, you stumble over things and you can't think of the right words <laughs> or whatever it is. And, uh, and we were talking about that. And a couple innings later, you had like three very minor, very minor slip ups where you would just stumble over a word or something like that. And there, at the end of the last one, you try to get a sentence out kind of had to restart a couple of times and when you finally got it out you just swatted the mic volume down and threw your headset up and got off and walked out and i lost it i had to kill my mic i sat there for like 30 seconds just laughing stared. i'm sure whoever was in the truck was like are they still up there Do they still have the English language guys oh, <laughs> i remember that i remember that. i was so angry because it's like dude like just spit it out i've done that multiple times where, and i've done it in like like a big league game where i have to be sensible here because people are watching me right. and i'm like i have to walk out and go dude get your shit together what is wrong and it's funny because the two guys remember the two guys sitting behind us one was doing like the sound yeah. down yeah and they're like doing this like hulking man storming out of the booth angrily for what is that all about it was also there was also one thing the last game i'm watching you guys because i'm in the booth i'm like i'm gonna mess with them somehow <laughs> right at the end of the game um <laughs> I did something. You guys were like, you know, killing it at the end and like giving each other hugs and stuff like that. And, you know, like smashing it. And I'm sitting in the back. I've got to mess with them somehow. But I said something like, oh yeah, you guys weren't even on. Like was, I said something. You guys were like, what? What was it? I something, dude. I, I hope, you probably can't remember, but you turn around and it's like, what? Like, and I to said, be fair, because we had had issues earlier in the tournament yeah. where like we would start a game and the audio would be off for the first half inning or whatever it was. I'm like, I'm like, did you guys get the text messages? Like, yeah, you guys are, you know, yeah, you guys haven't been on for the last three innings or something. Like, you're like, just devastated. Yeah, they, they just went to the local food. Like, yeah. 
I just went blank. It was something like that. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> something. It's just because re- oh, I'm, I'm like, I've got to mess with him somehow here. Because that was the best. Man. That that whole that whole tournament was just it was like a blast. So I still look back on that, and uh, it's yeah, it is it is unbelievable to me. It's just and I literally. I literally, the, the, the guy who basically hired me, um, I was begging him. I'm like, hey, spring training, like, can I come and do the, yeah. uh, the qualifiers? And I think it was like Great Britain versus someone. Yeah. I was like, hey, yeah. I, I want to hand up. I want to do it. It was so much fun. But yeah. uh, anyway, man, this, this has been fun, mate. Yeah, um, we've got to do it again. Thanks when, for when, me on. when there's uh, yeah, something relevant. Yeah, that, uh, some, some <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome, dude. It's been fun, man. It's been fun, buddy. Guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Top Step. This has been so much fun. This is going to continue, by the way. Once the season gets kicked off, I get busy uh, doing some Mariners baseball and and anything else I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to keep this going. It's a blast and and a good chance to get some of your favorite players as the season gets going and some of your favorite people. Um, But uh, if you you want to go check out the hat collection, go on YouTube. I'll have the clip up. It's pretty cool. Um, Or anything else we talked about that I tend to forget that I'm actually doing an audio podcast um yeah but there's, there's going to be a lot of clips up and everything else and again shoot me an email go to www.thetopstep.com click contact or get in touch um and right there you can write me an email and let me know if there's someone you want me to talk to um or a story you want me to tell or any of that or any questions let me know and i'll make sure i get to them appreciate you guys downloading this episode and tuning in all right we'll see you next week